dining al trunco, peanut butter in your egg rolls, and more to pizza than deep dish. This week, we're in Chicago. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. If you're new to the show, this is where we explore the great cuisine of the world at DestinationEatDrink.com and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, my guests are Monica Eng and David Hammond, authors of Made in Chicago, stories behind 30 great hometown bites. We talk about all kinds of unique Chicago dishes, like a culinary mashup called the Jim Shoe, deep fried hot dogs, and of course, pizza, plus a drink called Malort. Get some new slogans. People make a lot of fun of Malort. Uh, they had uh, they did a crowdsourced effort to generate some taglines for Malort. My favorite one is, Malort, tonight's the night you fight your dad. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the kind of stuff you like, food and travel and Fun stuff like Malort slogans, be sure to subscribe to the Destination Eat Drink newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the podcast, but also the new foodie travel stories at DestinationEatDrink.com and my latest foodie travel videos. Okay, I could go for some Chicago-style pizza, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. David Hammond, Monica Eng. Authors of Made in Chicago, Stories Behind 30 Great Hometown Bites. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It is so good to talk to you about Chicago cuisine today. Thanks so much for having us. We got to start talking with the subject of pizza because whenever I meet somebody new, you know, and I'm meeting a lot of new people here in Portugal and they find out that I'm from Chicago and that I do this food podcast, the first thing they want to talk about is pizza. And I know when they talk about Chicago and pizza, they're talking about deep dish pizza. But for me, I grew up eating uh, in Chicago tavern style pizza. I didn't have deep dish pizza until I was a teenager. So I want to start by talking about uh, deep dish pizza and tavern style pizza. What, what it is about them, what's the difference between the two? Because in, for locals, they're both equally as famous. I could start by describing the deep dish for those who may not be familiar with it, if you think that would help, Brent. I think so. That would be great, David. And I know you have a European international audience here, so it's possible there are some who, some listeners who have not had this. It's a high, a basic description. It's kind of a high-sided pizza. That is, the crust goes up maybe an inch, inch and a half. Could be more, could be less, depending upon where you're buying your deep dish. Uh, and into that crust is laid in this order. Uh, the cheese first. And then the toppings in the middle, which sounds all upside down, and then the sauce on top. And then it's baked, and you get what some would call a casserole, and it kind of is. But it's a Chicago favorite, although I got to say, as I get older, the idea of slamming back 4,000 calories at lunch is is not, uh, it's lost its charm for me. But it is a Chicago um, original food. Uh, the origins can be traced pretty clearly to a Pizzeria Uno, um, Ike Sewell and Rick Ricardo behind it, but then others too, uh, Rudy Malnati and uh, Alice Redman. Uh, but that's deep dish. Uh, 
contrasted with tavern-style pizza, which is in uh, Monica's bailiwick. Right. So tavern style is what, you know, a lot of people just call pizza. It's the pizza you had at bowling parties, at union parties, a lot of birthday parties. Um, and it's just a flat sort of cracker crust. I mean, some of it can be like super crackery, like you're eating a saltine with some tomato sauce on it. But, you know, others can have a, a little bit of a chew. But, you know, we just called it thin crust pizza or tavern style or party cut pizza, usually cut into um, rectangles and then little triangles on the end. Um, I think it's delicious. It's it's what most of us, and it's what you know some surveys of of takeout show is what's eaten by most of us. But yeah, deep dish is the one that you'd have, you know, when your when your aunt came into town, or you know when you're going to have a sort of a a heavier splurge. Um, but uh, I think they're 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 both great. And then they're stuffed, um, which we can get into another time. But a lot of people always think, oh, Chicago's got one style of pizza. There are at least three really distinct Chicago invented pizzas i'd like to talk about another dish right now that was invented in chicago invented in wrigleyville one that i wasn't familiar with called a katagawa um it now when i read your book monica and david i thought this kind of reminded me about when we were in hawaii and we saw something called loco moco on local menus there um but if you could describe what this dish is exactly, and uh, can you still get it in Chicago? Sure. Um, you can still get it just down the street from me. I live in Wrigleyville um, at a restaurant um, where Hamburger King, the the original restaurant that kind of created it, was. Now it's called Rice and Bread, but it's still in the same spot. Um, but it's it's called Akutagawa, and it's, um, it's hamburger meat, uh, green pepper, onion, and um, some bean sprouts, you crack an egg over it, you kind of stir it up into an omelet, um, serve it with a nice side of rice and gravy. And that was the classic that they served um, at Hamburger King when this was first invented for customer George Akutagawa. Um, you can also get it at the Fullerton uh, Diner, uh, or Fullerton Restaurant, I believe, at uh, Ashland and North. I don't know why it's called the Fullerton. Oh, maybe it's like Fullerton and ashland um sorry and um and it was it was also at uh, another diner in rogers park where one of the former hamburger king chefs had gone um and it's it's it to me it's this wonderful embodiment of of japanese americans trying to exercise their japaneseness at a time when they were told not to be um when they were uh, forcibly relocated to chicago after a forcible internment um and and told that uh that they needed to start acting like americans but uh, the the customer george akutagawa he was actually he was a a, a hawaiian japanese who came to chicago so the whole loco moco connection could be very strong. Um, it could be he was okay. trying to recreate that here in Chicago. And it's quite delicious, too. I had a platter of it uh, last Friday. Yeah, but these days it's served <laughs> with a side of kimchi, if you want, and that really kind of perks nice. up the flavors, too. Korean owner of the restaurant. Mm. Yeah. You know, this really gives me the idea of something that I talk about quite often on the podcast, which is this idea of transplanted cuisine which is, you know, you, you get a dish, it comes over to a new place, and then it gets changed around. Or maybe another dish from another place gets somehow incorporated into that. And 
I think Chicago is really famous for that because, as everyone knows, you know, Chicago is a city of neighborhoods and you've got all of these different cultures interacting with each other. And this kind of culinary mashup um, makes me think of another dish that's in your book called the Jim Shoe. Um, <laughs> could you describe that for me and, and tell me a little bit about that? Sure. The Jim Shoe is Italian beef, corned beef, and um, and gyros uh, all piled onto sometimes a hoagie roll with uh, lettuce and tomato. That's that, that was one of the earlier iterations. These days, a more popular iteration is um, is all of those meats and some jardinera and some chopped up onion griddled and chopped on a griddle until it gets nice and crispy and then laid onto a roll or sometimes a big uh, flour tortilla and um, and then served with what is called on the south side. This is almost only served on the south side. Uh, it's called gyro sauce on the south side, which is a sort of a, <laughs> a facsimile of um, a, of tzatziki. And um, and and it's it's a delicious and it's delicious, but it's also stuff that was already in these restaurants, um, simply reconfigured into a new dish that people love and that it's quite a flavor bomb. That must be why. I was not familiar with the gym shoe because it's a south side and west side of Chicago dish. And here I was in the burbs, the northwest burbs, and it, it ain't never made its way up to Barrington, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, oh, that is true. That's, that's, that's one of the big things that we found. I mean, even north side, south side, or even in certain you know parts of south side neighborhoods, yep. you find this total cultural segregation where people have never heard of dishes that, you know, hundreds or even thousands of others, you know, love and and associate with Chicago and their neighborhood too. Uh, the uh, sweet steak, which is uh, has, there's a location in Morgan park that serves it. My wife and I went out there to um, it's a place called home of the hoagie. My wife and I went out there to get a sandwich um, and it was interesting, but that's another story. The, I did meet someone uh, from the other side of Morgan park who had no idea that Home of the Hoagie was there. And so even within the same zip code, there's sometimes uh, divisions between neighbor between neighborhoods, certainly, and then the favorites within those neighborhoods. We always talk in, in Europe and in Portugal, where I live now, it's like, okay, you, you go to a different town, you go to a different village, and I'm always on the hunt for what the local pastry is, because every town has their own pastry. It's usually some kind of variation of an egg custard tart like the pastel donata that people mm -hmm. know about but it could be a cookie it could be something else but every town i'm always on the prowl for that you don't necessarily it doesn't spring to mind that uh that a place like chicago would be so incredibly segregated by food in that way that's fascinating mm -hmm. yeah that was one of the the uh, salient findings of our our of our study into these 30 different foods and, and a few others. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting ethnographic anthropological uh, survey. And we now, really think it could be a call to action for Chicagoans mm, to get to know the other yeah. Chicagoans and the other Chicago foods well. And, you know, it, it sounds kind of hokey, but, you know, bring together some more unity and more understanding of, of people in a town that, you know, still is sadly segregated. I mean, if you can't get together and, you know, enjoy um, a couple of smiles and laughs over a gym shoe, I don't have much hope for humanity, frankly. Well said, well said. <laughs> you guys talk in your book about something uh, Chicago called dining, and I'm using air quotes here, El Trunco. What is dining El Trunco? 
Yeah, the um, the place I just mentioned, home of the hoagie, uh, has no seating inside. The, it basically, it's a, a a waiting room attached to a kitchen. People come in, and when I was there, there were like two dozen people in there at all time, waiting patiently for their uh, their sweet steak sandwiches. Uh, I and I about the gym shoe. We went to Stony Sub to get a gym shoe recently, and uh, I don't. Monica, I don't think there's any uh, indoor seating, and in, uh, we it was we went there for a pickup for takeout. I don't think they have any indoor seating at uh, Stony Sub either, and that's no. typical of yeah, that's typical of a lot of these places because they're little mom and pops that don't have uh, uh, PR representation. Uh, they're operating on a shoestring, and they're ba- places people go to pick up food, as we did, go to pick up food and then bring it home, uh, or. Eat it in the parking lot, as we did at Home of the Hoagie. They have like a, uh, we used to call them prairies when I was a kid, but just like an empty, an empty lot, an empty lot uh, next to the building where cars park, and our car was parked there. So I ate my uh, sweet steak al trunco on the trunk of my car because it was either that or sit in the car and eat it, which would have been a disaster because these are some of these foods like the sweet steak are quite quite messy and wet. So it's they'd fall apart and make a gigantic mess. So better to eat outside, weather permitting. <laughs> right. So do you do you stand and put the food on the trunk, or do you you know put your butt on the bumper and you know kind of actually sit down and use that as a use the trunk as the table? I'm sure that I've done both, but yeah, I prefer to lay it out and stand because it's. Assuming, you know, there's for eating an Italian beef sandwich, they have what they call the Italian stance, which is you kind of lean over, put your elbows on the counter and dig into the sandwich in a way that won't uh, drip on your your clothing. Uh, (laughs) You you have to do something like that when you're dining al tronco as well, which is, yeah, which is the way, yes, it's a standing situation usually. um, And if you're on the street, it seems somehow safer than sitting down on a bump right don't know that it is, but yeah, standing seems like the right way to go. Monica, have you participated in this tradition of dining El Tronco? Oh, all the time. Um, one of my favorite places to eat is um, is uh, Jim's Original on Union, which is right next to the um, the highway, and it's uh, it's home of the the Polish sausage and the pork chop sandwich. And, you know, it's basically you just go up to a window and you get your food and um, it's delicious, delicious to eat El Tronco there. Um, And you have no choice unless you eat inside your car, which is uh, what I often do, too. I think, you know, Kelvin Trillin once said that food is um, always more delicious standing up. (laughs) I think um, I think that 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 may be true. um, And it's also very delicious if if you cannot wait until you get home and you're eating in your car it might by nature just be really delicious and that's why you can't help yourself. Monica, you wrote you wrote a chapter on uh Chicago style hot dogs which are another thing upon themselves to Chicago. Um first describe what is a Chicago style hot dog. Sure. So you start with a steamed poppy seed bun and then you put an all beef frank in there that um that hopefully has some bull meat in there so it gets a nice snap when you bite into it. Uh, then you put on some yellow mustard and some raw diced onions, then some really neon green sweet relish, then a couple of um, uh, tomato slices, and then a pickle spear, 
and then a dusting of celery salt, and then two small, very spicy sport peppers. And that is a true Chicago hot dog. Um, I, I looked into why we have this very canonical uh, list of ingredients that must be on it. And I talked to um, hot dog expert and hot dog scholar Bruce Craig, and he kind of went through every single one of the ingredients and showed how they represented many of the ethnic groups who had converged on the Maxwell Street area around the uh, the, the turn of the 20th century um, and and how you know each one of them contributed their own ingredients uh, whether they were green grocers or sausage makers or bread makers and um, but he said that, that that sort of you know very strict in many people's minds list of ingredients didn't um, didn't come together until after World War II but it started at the turn of the century. When I was growing up eating uh, Chicago-style hot dogs, I loved them. I, I think it's such a unique balance of flavors. The celery salt, to me, really makes yeah. it. It's, it's, a, it's a unique flavor. But the, the thing is about the peppers. They call these things sport peppers. And I always called them sport peppers. And then when I moved away from Chicago and I would look for, quote-unquote, sport peppers, I, there was no sport peppers to be found. Um, yeah. yeah. And I never quite, I never quite figured out exactly what kind of pepper is a sport pepper. Um, do you know what variety of pepper it is? Because it's not well, a jalapeno, but it is hot no. and spicy. I believe it's a Tabasco pepper, uh, or, or that's one of them, I, and that's that's flexible as well. Uh, like you can use whatever peppers are available at the right. Yeah, time. these peppers are these. These are peppers that you find in Louisiana, which is you know coincidentally or not coincidentally um, where Tabasco makes its peppers. Um, and you know Bruce Craig he posited that um, it, it could have been part of the Great Migration that folks from Louisiana or Mississippi brought those up here. He said that it also could have been uh, during the Colombian Exposition when tamales were introduced to Chicago. They had some Mexican tamale vendors that they said, you know, had spicy things with them. And that could have been it. But definitely they are sort of a Gulf area pepper that that was brought here and, you know, and it, it stuck. But yeah, nobody else calls them sport. <laughs> At Jim's original, which Monica just mentioned, it used to be on Maxwell Street. And now it's located nearby, but off that that main drag. They uh, pickle their own sport peppers on site. Um, they, you know, have these fifty-five gallon plastic drums, and they just uh, add vinegar, stir them around, let them sit for a while. Um, and they they use a lot of them because just about every sandwich at Jim's Original has sport peppers on, not just hot dogs, but uh, the uh, the Polish sausage, the pork chop sandwich that was referenced. Uh, yeah, they, they use it on everything. And they should. They're, they're darn good, but pretty hot. Pretty hot, I think. There is also some um, variations on the Chicago dog, the Depression dog. What what are some of these variations? Uh, well, the, I can speak a little to the Depression dog. Uh, So-called because it's identified with the lean years of the Depression. The extent to which it actually was is is uncertain, but the uh, yeah it's it's a real it's a stripped down hot dog offered at places like Gene and Jude's um, and a few others. It's the uh, the wiener in a bun, which may or may not be poppy seed, um, and then uh, onions and mustard, and that's pretty and onions and that and that's it. And fry you get a lot, usually a lot of fries. It's a fill it's a it's a filling meal when you add the fries in there. But yeah, it's it's just a very uh, lean version 
of the more drag, the drag through the garden Chicago hot dog that we all know and love. And then there's the franchisee, which I believe um, has uh, is deep fried with cheese. And is there bacon in there? I, of course, I'm not. I, remembered. I, I think there is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Deep fried hot dog. Hot, hot dog's not enough. Now we got to deep fry it. Right. Yeah, and there are a lot of actually uh, deep fried Polishes that I want to look into. Um, one called the Big Stan on the far northwest side. These are oh. things that might be in our next uh, our next edition. Oh, good. Looking forward to uh, version two. Dave, I think you wrote the chapter about Chicago style egg rolls. Yeah, which I found yeah. fascinating. Um, could you talk about those a little bit? Sure. Yeah, the uh, the place I bought them is called Three Kings, and it's uh, actually quite near my house. It's uh, as I'm, we live in Oak Park, and uh, it's west side of Chicago. Seems to have a number of places that sell egg rolls or egg rolls in addition to some other menu items. This Three Kings place I went to is just strictly the egg rolls, and you can get them with uh, jerk chicken uh, or like pizza pizza filling, and also, and I think this is typically Chicago, you can get them stuffed with Italian beef, which is a pretty good combination. I mean, it's basically, it's like a fried Italian beef sandwich. We're talking about frying everything. Uh, yeah, and, and you can get them in, you know, regular egg roll size, with, you know, kind of like a really thick cigar. Um, or you could get the large style which, style, which is about as big as a burrito. I mean, it's, it's, it's just more, more than one person can probably eat large as opposed to small. So, yeah, that's uh, Chicago-style egg rolls. Obviously, egg rolls were not invented in Chicago, but the Italian beef in particular makes it reflective of uh, Chicago's general culinary culture. And I was reading in your book, there's a place that um, maybe this is a common thing in Chicago. I wasn't familiar with it, uh, putting peanut butter into the egg roll filling to make it um, stick together. Because when I was a teenager, I had a girlfriend who that's how she made egg rolls. And she passed it off as her own invention. She's like, oh yeah, I discovered that you put peanut butter in there. Now this is, this is the early 80s. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure she can't take credit for it, but darn it, she did take credit for it. And I believed her for all those years that she thought yeah. of this. Yeah. That's funny. Well, um, my family had been making egg rolls that way since at least the 50s in Chicago. So okay, <laughs> maybe she was fibbing. <laughs> well, it worked. She got on my good side and uh, I, yeah. I love those egg rolls. Um, Dave, I wanted to ask you about Malort. And my my question to you about Malort is pretty simple. And that's how the heck is this thing still available for sale? Because... Why? Yeah, right. Why? Uh, well, good first time I had Malort, I was like, someone give me some battery acid so I can wash this flavor out of my mouth. Now, I will say the uh, the recipe for Malort has been tweaked slightly over the years. The name, the recipe and the name Malort and all the labeling and so on was purchased by CH Distillery in Chicago. Uh, Tremaine Atkinson is the, uh, the guy who owns that operation. Um and he, he's the one who told me they had to make some adjustments. And I honestly think those adjustments are for the better, if by better you mean a drink that's more palatable than it used to be. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of bitter, um, kind of like uh, Campari or um, 
Bernie Brock, kind of uh, not. I wouldn't say it's as complex or as herbaceous as either of those, but it's a uh, it's a Chicago thing, and that finally is why it's beloved. The fact that it doesn't taste very good um, or doesn't appeal to a lot of people, let's say, doesn't seem to matter much, and that in fact becomes kind of one of the endearing aspects of this spirit. People seem to like it because it's kind of a <laughs> kind of it, it's uh, people make a lot of fun of Malort. Uh, they had uh, they did a crowdsourced effort to generate some taglines for Malort, and fans of Malort came up with taglines like uh, "Malort when you want to unfriend someone in person." <laughs> oh, my favorite one is "Malort tonight's the night you fight your dad." <laughs> there's <laughs> there's this association of Malort with something that will. Uh, is not so good tasting and might even drive you to do things you might not otherwise do. In fact, that's why absinthe, which contains wormwood, and malort does as well. It's it's an herb. In fact, malort means wormwood in Swedish. Um, that wormwood was in absinthe, and absinthe uh, got this notorious reputation for having driven this guy in France mad, and he went on a murder spree, and, and absinthe got blamed for it. So it was banned for decade after decade, just recently, people realized that those folktales about absinthe and wormwood weren't actually accurate. Now, Malort the whole time has used wormwood in there because I, I think because it got some kind of med medical dispensation or something like that, but it's been around since the uh, mid-30s, early 30s, and uh, Chicagoans love it. And if you come to Chicago, an outsider, um, come to visit Chicago as a tourist, and someone offers to buy you a shot of Malort, what you can expect to have happen is that Chicagoan, that Chicagoan who offered you a drink is going to get you a shot of Malort, you will take a sip, and then you're going to make a, a face of disgust and dismay and surprise. Your picture will be taken and then posted on Instagram, hashtag Malort face. Um, <laughs> because that's what that's what happened when happens when people try Malort for the first time. Malort, for a night of bad decisions. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's going to be my slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Monica, you mentioned that uh, maybe there would be a, a volume two of Made in Chicago. Any ideas what you might include in, in that second volume? Sure. Um, you know, there's something called Atomic Cake that they sell on the South Side. It's got uh, banana cake with banana cream and vanilla and um whole bunch of strawberries. And it's super tall and it's for special occasions. And um, it's something that we definitely want to include next time. Um, I was thinking of something called a um, a super taco, again, a Southside treat where you take like the, the kind of Greek um, pizza that you would use for a gyro and you create a taco in there with um, with ground beef and other delicious things um, that maybe that um, the, the big Stanley or the, the big stand the the deep fried Polish sausage. Um, but there, there are a bunch of things that I think, yeah. you know, could go yeah. in there and we're hearing from people all the time. Yep. A collateral advantage of having this book out is that people now contact, contact us, old friends or colleagues, whatever, and suggest things we might include in the next edition. I mean, I know Monica or Louisa Chu at the Tribune is pushing hard for the atomic cake. I got contacted by an old buddy who's in Vermont and happened to get, get a copy of the book and, uh, Asked me if I had ever heard of the Wapachosa, and I, I hadn't, but apparently it is served at more than one location, and that's 
key because we're not just doing restaurant specials in our book. That would make for a book of many thousands of pages. We're just fo we're focusing on dishes, preparations that you can find at a number, at least two different restaurants, and sometimes many more. But the Wapachosa is yeah, it's a sandwich uh, with some fried chicken in there, fried green pickles, deviled eggs. Uh, lettuce i think cheese may be in there i've never had one because i haven't located uh where i can get them but i've heard about it i believe there's a place there's, there is a place called scofflaw on chicago's north side that serves it as kind of a specialty item so i will definitely have it and that might it might be something we would include in a, a future edition of the book yeah for sure all great ideas um you know we we've had fun here talking about malort and talking about dining el tronco but I really want to say that I, I love this idea, Monica and David, of um, food bringing people together in Chicago. And I, I know we laughed a little bit, but I, I'm deadly serious when I say, you know, nothing brings people together like food. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. And thank you for writing your book, Made in Chicago, Stories Behind 30 Great Hometown Bites. It's been great talking to you today. Kind of you. Thanks, thank Brent. Take it easy. Okay, there you go. Bringing world peace one dish at a time. I got to say, I really enjoyed reading Monica and David's book. If you're planning a trip to Chicago, it's a terrific resource. But even if you're not, it's a highly entertaining read. Made in Chicago, Stories Behind 30 Great Hometown Bites is available wherever you get books, including Amazon. I've got links to the books and the places Monica and David talked about in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED 238. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we are in Lisbon talking food and city planning with YouTube's City Nerd. Don't worry. The city planning stuff is super interesting. I've also just posted a video about the sweets invented in the convents of Evora, Portugal. Once you see these pastries on video, you're going to want to try them too. I guarantee it. Hopefully there's a Portuguese bakery near you that makes them. You can see that at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the video tab or subscribe to the Destination Eat Drink channel on YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. If you enjoyed the podcast, please review the show and give up those five stars. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who uses Malort as paint thinner, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 